Every historical human atrocity ever committed has come under the illusion of self-appointed power. Ed Winters. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 200. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Libertarian, welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. It's episode 200, folks, and I'm pretty excited about that. So I decided that for this episode, it's definitely a food show, and I'm going to dabble a little bit into uh, veganism and some more stuff. Ed Winters more popularly known as Earthling Ed, is a vegan activist. He wrote an ebook, 30 Non-Vegan Excuses and How to Respond to Them. This episode is, in part, a response and a brief critique of that book. And it's more. The book is, as it says, 30 Popular Points Raised in Opposition to Going Vegan, and suitable responses. Ed cites Socrates and the Socratic method of asking questions of the counterpart to learn their views. It's a good approach. Eric Barker notes that Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, shared this thought. Barker uses this Pascal quote to make the point. Quote, People are generally better persuaded by the reasons which they have themselves discovered than by those which have come into the mind of others. End quote. That's Ed's point. Ask a person, is it wrong to make an animal suffer? And the person is almost certainly going to respond with a yes. Now, I know Ed has an angle. I know he's pushing for a vegan conversion. So, I'm not surprised that his questions have a focused direction to them. A discussion about food looks like a food discussion, but it's a political discussion, at least here. More accurately, it's a religious discussion. Do you pray at the altar of veganism? Well, you're about to, is his message. Let's suppose the question asked is, is it wrong to make a person suffer? Suffer is a good word choice. If you question what does suffer mean, there is an idea you tolerate some kind of pain. Pain is another good word. And aren't you a horrible person to even think that any amount of suffering is okay? It's a good ploy. It's effective. There's nothing to grab onto intellectually for a discussion. You have to accept the position as is and nod in agreement. With the support of Socrates the philosopher and Pascal the mathematician, this seems like a logic moment. It isn't. It's a negotiation. A logic problem suggests dispassionate players puzzling out a syllogism, and negotiation is emotional. Pay us the money or we kill the hostages, 
That's not reason. That's emotion and business, but that's another show. Let's look at the question again. Is it wrong to make an animal suffer? Yes, it's wrong. The next question is probably, why do you participate in causing the suffering of animals by eating them? The expected response is at least a pause from the counterpart and reflection that his burger-eating preferences cause animals to suffer. Ed is pretty plain with his words, such as murder, with lines such as this, quote, It is not morally justifiable to murder just because the murderer personally made the choice to murder. It is not morally justifiable to kick and beat a dog just because the abuser personally made the choice to kick and beat the dog. And it is not morally justifiable to pay for animals to be exploited and killed just because we can make the choice to pay for animals to be exploited and killed, end quote. Definitely those are words. The vegan position is that animals ought to be allowed to live and die a natural death. If they kill and eat each other, well, that's just nature. If you do it, you are a murdering bastard contemned to all levels of hell at the exact same time. Animals are good, humans that participate in the slaughter of animals are bad, and that seems to be a sliding scale depending how close to the slaughter that specific human is. If it is wrong to make animals suffer, is it wrong to make humans suffer? I asked this question on a Twitter poll. Is it wrong to cause slash make cause slash allow humans to suffer? Disappointingly, I got one vote, with a qualification that it depends on the human. Ed covers many points, and each one comes with a canned question. The issue I have with the argumentation is they are appeals to emotion. They aren't logic-based. They are manipulative questions designed to get a particular response from the counterpart, which is the premise, it is wrong to do X, and since the counterpart enjoys the fruits of doing X, he needs to amend his ways. There are a few rabbit holes here. Actually, there are a whole bunch of rabbit holes here. One is the common thread that every act of humans has to be a moral and morally justifiable act. The other rabbit hole is the repeated use of Michael Greger as an authority. Ed repeatedly claims that meat consumption is detrimental to human health and cites Greger and his nutritionfacts.org page for support. Now, I've covered the part about meat consumption and human health in part on previous episodes. It is not detrimental to human health. Humans flourish when they eat animals. Ed likes to ask the moral question. I have one for him. Is it moral to make someone eat a food that causes them pain and inflammation when an alternative source is available? It also likes to attack tradition and culture. This is growing beyond just Ed the person into Ed's movement, uh, and I'm assuming a few things about Ed, but part of the Veganism Inc. plan is to eliminate culture. 
that's the Marxist wing of the movement of Veganism, Inc. Ed writes, quote, Culture, traditions, cement us in our past transgressions. If humanity is to ever evolve past animal exploitation, we need to move past tradition-driven violence, end quote. In all of his book and the discussions of how human animals must grow beyond our cultural anchors, he never once addresses the massive harms humans caused other humans. He doesn't mention the Great Leap Forward in Mao's China, or Cambodia, or Hitler's Germany, or Stalin's Italy, or Castro's Cuba, or the Ukraine famine. That seemed odd to me. Not all vegans want what Ed is selling about culture. It is entirely possible some vegans are very opposed to eliminating culture, but Veganism Inc. is determined to dismantle the norms and conventions around food and everything else and replace them with plant-based chicanery. Veganism Inc. is part of the EAT Lancet slash Great Food Transformation, and that's all part of the Great Reset. The World Economic Forum is working with EAT Lancet to push the Great Food Transformation. I did an episode about that. I'll link to it on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 200. The World Economic Forum's webpage is loaded with content about all the spokes of the Great Reset, including food. One interesting observation is the link to the post, The Future of Protein, which includes this blurb, quote, research suggests it's impossible using current production systems to increase the animal-based protein supply and still hit climate targets, pardon me, hit key climate targets, end quote. That seems interesting enough and certainly worth a click through, but alas, the page has been removed. It's curious. All of that leads to this. For you MatPat fans, you'll get it. Hello, interwebs! Welcome to Conspiracy Theory. The vegans are trying to make converts at a rate Torquemada would envy. But wait, there's an even bigger plan afoot. The bigger plan has been covered on this podcast and scores more. The Great Food Transformation. Ursat's meat from plants, protein from bugs, but that's not vegan, and the elimination of animal agriculture. Yes, folks, it is time for the foil hats. But in point of fact, all of this has been published in books and online. If it is anything at all, it is factual, not theory. There are scores of rabbit holes to investigate in support of meat promotes good health for humans and the planet. Nutrition alone is a massive labyrinth of content for and against meat as a good source of nutrition. Sally Fallon at the Western A. Price Foundation, Nina Teicholz and the Nutrition Coalition website, Brian Sanders and his Peak Human podcast, Farmer Angus and L. Amber O'Hearn, and scores more people have excellent content about why and how meat and saturated fat 
is good for human health. So, to start off, don't believe anything I tell you. Also, don't believe anything Ed writes. Check me and check him. You're going to have some work to do. I'll make my case, so to speak, and you decide. Plant-based meat is being promoted well. One argument against meat, and an argument I support, by the way, is that factory farming, that is industrial meat agriculture, is bad for the cows and bad for the environment. I agree. That's why you should buy your meat from as local to you farmers as is possible and not the mega grocery stores. If you can, find farmers who slaughter and sell on and from their own ranch. If you can niche down more, find regenerative, regenerative farmers who do that. Animals grazing on grass is the only acceptable plant-based meat. But there's an inconsistency to the plant-based is best argument. Factory farming is bad, but massive factories making plants into processed, scare quotes, foods with seed oils and things you can't grow, pick up an ounce, is better. How? It doesn't make any sense. Mark Bittman, cookbook author and foodie, shared a post on his The Truth About Plant-Based Meat blog page. The article written by Sam Garwin is a very good read. Sam writes, quote, We've forgotten that care for people, land, or anything other than profit is something large companies have yet to figure out how to do. So, we've ended up with an exceptionally efficient system that produces cheap food on the backs of sick and abused animals, polluted waterways, and repeated and escalating public health crises. The fact that the same multinational companies responsible for factory farming atrocities are investigating an alternative to meat technologies should not be interpreted as a sign of changing tides. It is more of the same. These companies have long degraded the value of life, as evidenced by the conditions in which the animals are kept, the environmental violations committed daily, and the poor nutritional quality of the food they sell. Meat alternatives remove the problem of respectfully caring for living creatures and the planet in favor of a cheap substitute with unknown consequences for human health, end quote. My informal, unscientific examination of some meatless frozen products, not all of them are vegan, revealed that they may contain seed oils. Seed oils are not good for human health. Oh, and by the way, I will add a link to Sam's article on the show notes page. She wrote one hell of a piece. Veganism is opposed to large corporations running meat agriculture, which tend to be placed in areas where poor people and people of color, they didn't say what color, live. Factory farming of animals in rural areas is bad, but factory farming of plants for ersatz meat is okay, it seems. Now, there is an interesting possibility that occurred to me where we're talking about farming, we're putting seeds in soil. It is entirely possible, since this is happening on some level in big cities, that what 
Veganism Inc. and Eat Lancet and Bill Gates all have in mind is giant, warehoused, huge. Think Amazon distribution center sized warehouses of um, hydroponic style plant growing. Huge, dirtless gardens where all manner of greenery is being grown. That's a possibility. Now, they still have to build these things on that farmland, and and you still got to get trucks in and out, but that's it's, it's a possibility. I have no, I'm just pure conjecture. So I asked the question before about Ed and his moral conundrums. Is it morally acceptable to feed humans known to cause harm? Nutrition is a big topic. So big it bears repeating. That was a repetition. Nutrient density and bioavailability are two phrases used to discuss how well or how poorly any one food helps the human body by how much, how easily does digestion obtain those nutrients from the food. Because meat is fat-rich and nutrient-dense, words have to be twisted to alter how we think about animals. For the animals, by the way, they're just non-human animals after all, speciesism is a big deal to vegans. Human animals and non-human animals are the same, and to think elsewise is to commit a thought crime. Any argument that humans are superior to non-human animals is rejected even while acknowledging that humans alone have developed the tech that let me write the notes for the show and produce this digital podcast. Ed does address the non-human animals and their complex, interconnected environment, hunting and eating as needs be for survival. Of course, not all non-human animals survive that rough life. The human system of transportation, storage, refrigeration, and processing, and more, allow for the vast majority of human animals the opportunity to buy meat or eggs or cheese or all of it for their plates. Human and non-human animals are the same except that the humans have somehow evolved to not need meat, where the non-human animals still need meat. That seems odd for two groups who are supposed to be egalitarian. What Ed overlooks, and it's a very big question, is that what does it mean to be human? It is a very important question, and that's another show. I mentioned Sally Fallon before, and she has a video called The Oiling of America, which is about how we went from using butter and lard in the 1900s. If you look at the first Fannie Farmer cookbook, you don't see Crisco. You don't see corn oil or canola oil or sunflower oil or avocado oil or probably not even olive oil back then. But certainly not the seed oils, which is the key point. And this is a very good talk. It has, it's long. It has a lot of people in it. But it debunks entirely the whole seed oil and Hart Hypothesis, uh, Ansel Keys's silliness. But it's, and, and so it's worth a watch. 
uh, a fellow named Paul Dudley White, who did some research on some stuff, found that myocardial infarctions, heart attacks, were mostly non-existent in 1900 when egg consumption was triple what it was in 1956. So there's a lot to account for in the misrepresentation of information. But that gets us to this. Veganism is social justice. Ed mentions social justice several times in his book. Veganism, Inc. has taken this Marxist platform and turned it into a religion. They worship at the altar of the exploited, and your conviction as an adherent of Veganism, Inc. is made plain by how loudly you protest. On the upside for veganism, there are many altars. Climate chaos, animal rights, which really means non-human animal rights, earth health, which includes environmentalism, and more. The more they push for change and impact in these areas, the more they seem to seek making everyone the same. The problem with making everyone the same is the sameness is at the lowest common denominator. Same thing applies in economics. If everyone's going to be the same, nobody is Gene Simmons. You're all poor and the same. You'll own nothing and like it. An important issue is how the vegan diet may cause stunting in human animals. Now, Plant-Based News, a vegan activist website and Twitter account debunked a study suggesting children eating a vegan diet are shorter and had poorer bone mineral content than their omnivore counterparts. That's a big rabbit hole. Several papers I looked at commented that a vegan or vegetarian diet is becoming popular for environmental and ethical reasons. Hmm. I read similar phrases on several other papers, and what was omitted in all of them was choosing a diet for, you know, nutrition and wellness. One issue with the vegan diet is the prescription as a one-size-fits-all. But, but, there are so many plants! Yes, but processed foods, anything in a packet with an ingredient list, may include or be soy and or corn to very heavily subsidized industries. Corn is in virtually everything. Big Ag and the plant-based movement fare well from the use of corn and soy in their products. That's cash to keep pushing the narrative. Veganism seems to want to paint a rosy picture of Susie and Frank happily working in the garden, picking wholesome vegetables for dinner. What is overlooked is, if animals are no longer used for food, that'll mean more plants. More plants means more tractors, more soil tilled, more chemical fertilizer, and that chemical fertilizer, made from petroleum, means more methane in the air than the cows could ever dream of creating. And Susie and Frank aren't picking those vegetables. Tractors are. The degradation to the soil is immense. There's more transportation involved, there's more warehousing involved, and at every step to attempt to fix the environment, it is thwarted by the actions that destroy it. There's nothing quaint about that.
Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. There is a solution. Keep the animals and ditch the factory farms. Regenerative farming keeps the carbon in the ground and can, at least in the case of Farmer Angus, and his appearance on the Peak Human podcast suggests that they can grow, increase carbon in the soil. Oh, and it produces nutrient-dense food that has high-nutrient bioavailability. Putting the control of farming and ranching back into the hands of those who do it is what's best. Who benefits the most from the food system as it currently is? If governments are in charge of how food is produced, and they benefit the most from how it is being produced now, what expectation is there for them to change how they do business and sacrifice losing a cash cow Pun intended. EAT, Lancet, and the Great Reset talk about feeding the world. They have lofty goals and feeding 10 billion people by 2035 or 2050, but to do so requires centralized planning, centralized transportation, centralized distribution, and centralized production. It requires a massive corporate structure almost exactly like the one Veganism Inc. rejects in the current food system. Feeding the world may be altruistic, but how you feed everyone is to start at your dinner table. Then your block. Now, don't invite everybody over, but if you have surplus in your garden, share it. A system such as that, which depends on local produce, May mean no asparagus in December and no apples in March. So be it. Learn to can. Granny was right. Veganism Inc. is very good at the propaganda. They excel at it. In the CNN soundbite culture the world lives in today, meat is murder is catchy and cute and memorable. Nobody really wants to take the time to learn why what they hear is propaganda, and how what they hear excludes a whole bunch of other information. They simply don't want to find out what that is. If I've not been plain enough, I'm opposed to a vegan diet for wellness. I've seen in my own body how a high-protein and high-fat diet has improved my physical condition and my health and wellness, and how I feel. Our friend Bob Smiley says he's thriving on a carnivore diet. L. Amber O'Hearn is a carnivore and has a blog page and numerous posts about how a carnivore diet is a good choice. I've avoided the rabbit hole of comparing this and that, plants to animals. Plainly, the abundance of plants 
needed to be eaten to equal the micronutrients of meat is immense. The additional complication of the anti-nutrients in the plants may not improve wellness. I've avoided the animals killing machines harvesting the plants issue. Vegans, it seems, are eager to dismiss that issue or deflect to the few bunnies and foxes killed compared to the masses of cows as okay, sort of. All life is sacred unless it's just a few, it seems to be the message. I've not addressed how grains and starches have contributed to the obesity issue and the consequent diabetes and heart disease issue. Excluded was the eating of insects, not a vegan diet, but very much part of the plan for the great food transformation, nor have I addressed the recent New York Times article called A Taste for Cannibalism. I'm going to assume that excludes vegans. Unlearning the decades of bad or wrong nutritional information takes time. It also takes gumption. Poke around on the Weston A. Price website. Check out Ivor Cummins and Cholesterol or Frederick Leroy on anything. To decide what is best for you, you have to put some time in. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll add a link to the Preston A. Price, sorry, Weston A. Price Foundation website on the show notes page. Check also for them on the YouTubes. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here. Thanks also to my Patreon supporters. You can become a supporter and get access to my chef's table portions from guests at culinarylibertarian.com support. Next week, I'm discussing constitutional history that you probably don't know and almost certainly were not taught in Public Fool. Have a good week. And I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.